In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, please be seated. Between the Old Testament reading from 2 Kings chapter 5 and tonight's Holy Gospel from Matthew chapter 8, there are actually four great signs and wonders that we hear about. One in the Old Testament reading, two in the Gospel, and a fourth Well, you'll just have to pay attention because later I'll reveal what that fourth is. But for now, let's think about Naaman the Syrian. Naaman the Syrian's a leper. Now, how in the world he ever heard about the prophet truly is a miracle. Because someone came into his home. Someone was brought back a slave from Israel who said, there's a prophet in Israel who can take care of this leprosy. And Naaman did the right thing. He talked to the king. And the king said, I'll send a letter. And not only that, he sent goods and services with Naaman down there. As if there was some way that Naaman could buy his redemption from leprosy. The king of Israel was not happy to hear this news. He tore his clothes. Tearing your clothes is a sign of severe anger. If you've seen the Neil Diamond version of The Jazz Singer, you see that when Laurence Olivier, who plays his dad, finds out that Neil Diamond is shacking up with Lucy Arnaz. And he tears his shirt and he goes, I have no son. And, well, do they ever get back together? You'll have to watch the movie to see whether or not he does. At any rate, the king of Israel tears his clothes. And it's Elisha himself who comes before the king and says, cool it. This guy does not seek a quarrel with you. He seeks healing. And here's the thing about Elisha. Elisha isn't there to heal Naaman. Which ought to be strike one if we're in Naaman's shoes. He sends a messenger. And the messenger has a message. Go dip yourself in and out of the Jordan seven times and you will be healed. Well, strike two is the fact that Naaman doesn't have to go back to Damascus where he knows what things are. He knows the Abana and the Farpar. He knows they're pretty good rivers. Why does he have to stay here in Israel and dip himself in the Jordan River seven times? Naaman's a lot like you and me. Because Naaman wants to control how he's going to be healed. Did Naaman control whether or not he gets leprosy? No. He received it. Now he has his healing. And he would rather not have it this way. And it takes his own men to pull him inside and say, "Uh, Naaman, old buddy, your healing is right there in that body of water. Did he not speak the word to you? Did he not tell you exactly how you will be healed? Can you believe it? Naaman needed convincing Like you and me. The word is right there before us, beloved. Right there. That shows us our salvation in Christ Jesus alone. And yet we try to play the bargain game with God. I'll have it my way. Burger King theology. And so Naaman, hope against hope, says, I'll give it a shot. And so he does. And sure enough, after the seventh time, he comes out clean like a baby. 
Fast forward a thousand years and Jesus has just descended the mount where he has preached the Sermon on the Mount. That's what the previous three chapters of Matthew is about. And now Matthew, who's no dummy, who put this gospel together to show you and show me exactly how the message of the Sermon on the Mount will play out. The first thing that Jesus meets descending the mountain, a leper. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. How did the leper hear the gospel? How did he know that Jesus could make him clean? A leper has to stay away from everybody. Exiled. Only staying with other lepers. Anytime someone comes near them, they're to yell that they're unclean. Cannot be with family. Cannot be with friends. Cannot be with their loved ones. They can only be with other lepers. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I will be clean. And did you know what he does? He reaches out his hand and touches the leper. Thou shalt not touch a leper. You'll get leprosy yourself. Jesus doesn't get leprosy. He gives healing. The leper is healed at that very moment. Jesus spoke a word. I will be clean. And it's done. Now we go all the way to Capernaum. And Jesus doesn't have a lot of good things to say about Capernaum three chapters later. Will you be exalted to heaven, he says? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But Jesus goes into Capernaum anyway. And he's met there by, of all people, a Gentile. A centurion. One who is over 100 soldiers. And his servant is unwell. And Jesus says, I'll be right there. And the centurion looks at our Lord and we think he's trying to control him. Stop right there. I am not worthy that you enter under my roof, Lord, but speak only the word and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority and there's our clue that the centurion is not trying to control our blessed Lord. Jesus is quiet long enough for the man to tell his story. For I am a man under authority. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And I say to yet another, do this, and he does it. Jesus is quiet long enough for the centurion to tell his story because we need to hear that. The centurion knows exactly what authority is. When someone who is, has that authority says to you something, you go do it. Mom says, go clean your room. You drop everything and go clean your room. Maybe you do it with fits and blind spells, but you go and do it. When the government says you pay your taxes on April 15th, we hold our nose and render to Caesar, but not a penny more. For he is a man, so to speak, under authority. And Jesus is amazed by this. But he knew the man was going to say it the whole time anyway. Like I said, that's why he was quiet. To let the man tell his story. Because from this we can learn something. Not even among the Israelites, Jesus says, have I seen such faith. Not only that, but he says, it's people like this guy. 
a Roman citizen, not a Jew, who will sit in the kingdom of heaven. Many will come from the east and the west and dine with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And my own people, my own people will be cast into outer darkness. Three tremendous signs spread over a thousand years. And beloved, there's a fourth sign at play here. A fourth miracle that weaves all of these three together into a beautiful tapestry. True faith in Jesus Christ is a divine miracle. You say to yourself, but there is no Jesus in the Naaman story. Yes, there is. For, for Elisha, who is a prophet of the Most High God, sends a messenger who speaks a word. Jesus himself speaks words to the leper, to the centurion. Go your way, your son lives. That's what he tells the centurion. And at the very moment Jesus said it, it happens. True faith in Jesus Christ is a divine miracle. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that is not seen. No wonder the world thinks that we're idiots. Because the world, you see, wants to see Jesus. If he would show up in my living room and look at my piano bench and take a look at all of the wonderful music that's in it, if he would go check out my library, if he would go see all of the wonderful things that I have put together in my home, all of the crosses I have up here, and all of the other things, then I will believe. Or if he'll just come and, I don't know, dance across my swimming pool this summer, then I will believe. Show me, show me, show me. And it's not just the world who's from Missouri. It's us too. I got to see it to believe it. Naaman, the leper, and the centurion heard it. That's why they all came to Jesus. They heard it. Faith comes, as St. Paul says, by hearing. What do you hear? Hearing the preaching of the gospel. The good news. Naaman heard good news. There is someone in Israel who can heal you. And he didn't even show up. Would you believe? Elisha sent a messenger. Jesus stands right in front of a leper and heals him when he shouldn't have. Should have sent a messenger to that guy. And Jesus is ready to go into the centurion's house. And the centurion says, no. I know you can do it from here. Say the word. That is the prayer that we pray always to our Lord. Say the word. And he does. For he sent a guy like me into your midst to say the word. The word that can never die. The word that says resurrection. The word that says forgiveness. The word that says life. The word that says peace. 
the word that says forgiven on the cross, at the font, from this altar, from this pulpit, forgiven. The word that says love. The love that takes on flesh at Christmas. The love that shines as the light in the dark place in this holy season of Epiphany. Especially to the Gentiles. And that's you and me. For we, like the centurion, have a seat at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's not by blood. It's by faith. It's not anything that you did. Paul tells you that in Ephesians. It's a gift of God, lest any of us should boast. And you know how we are with gifts sometimes. We regift it. It's good to regift the gospel, by the way. But like many gifts, we tend to put them in the storage container of life and only pull it out when we need it. In the meantime, we think we'll get along our own way. Burger King theology does not work in the church. There is one way, and that is the way of the word. The word that Jesus speaks. That's what we hold on to. We greet each other sometimes and, and we say to each other, how you doing? You can tell I'm from, I live near Chicago because I say, how you doing? And usually we lie and say, just fine, thank you. When really, if we were true with ourselves, we would say something like, I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. The thing about our walk with Jesus, beloved, is we can say that with confidence. I am hanging on for dear life to a promise that was made to me right there at that font. And the promise is, you're mine. For God's made a decision about you, and the decision that he made is, you're mine. Satan cannot have you. The world will try to twist you away from me, but I have overcome the world. And your own sinful nature will war against you day after day, hour after hour, second after second. And that is why we hang on to the promise. The promise that is spoken in the word. Though we have not seen Christ in the flesh, though he has not come in and looked through our piano bench or our hutch or our storage containers, he has come. And he has drawn us near to him again this night to hear this word that forgives your sins and that brings healing. Healing that he promises he will bring in its fullness on the day of resurrection. So how you doing tonight? We tell the truth. All with one voice. I'm hanging on. And that's no lie. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in 
Christ Jesus.